Today's episode of the Watson Weekly Podcast is sponsored by Commerce Tools. The world of commerce is fast-paced and constantly changing. Commerce Tools, the global leader in commerce and creator of the powerfully composable mock architecture, enables commerce leaders to turn possibilities into reality. Commerce Tools helps businesses go from underperforming to overachieving, and from keeping up to setting the pace, all at a lower total cost. Go to commercetools.com to learn how to get started. It's July 3rd, 2023, and this is the Watson Weekly, your essential e-commerce digest. Today on our show, Amazon gets open letter from activist investor. Amazon announces Prime Day. Google Domains sells to Squarespace. Google launches virtual AI try-on feature. And finally, the Investor Minute, which contains seven items this week from the world of venture capital, acquisitions, and IPOs. But first in our shopping cart full of news, Amazon gets open letter from activist investor. Amazon received an interesting open letter from an activist investor named Bernstein last week proposing the following changes for Amazon. First, Amazon should trim or seek a new owner for its healthcare business, underwater international markets like Brazil and India, and scale back on its fulfillment business. This would very likely reduce Amazon's yearly spending. Second, Bernstein recommends that Amazon double down on its media and advertising and buy with Prime businesses. Advertising, I understand, but media is more of a head-scratcher. Amazon has not been very successful with Amazon Video, and I don't know many people who would pay for it if it were on its own. Buy with Prime is a bit of a head-scratcher recommendation also, but I would instead recommend that Amazon build a true third-party business-to-consumer fulfillment operation. If you want to invest in Buy with Prime, a true UPS competitor is very much what is needed. My thoughts on this letter are that it's a giant fishing expedition. Most of the suggestions seem like a grab bag of items. If Amazon really wanted to be smart, just don't spend quite so much on fulfillment and invest more in advertising in AWS. There, done. See, that analysis provides just as much value. Usually I only listen to reporters speaking about activist investors in one situation, when the percentage of the stock they own is clear. Otherwise, it's kind of a nothing burger to Amazon. People criticize the company every day. In this case, I see no indication this firm owns any appreciable percentage of Amazon. That said, this is a great public relations stunt by the investor Bernstein. Mission accomplished. Our second story. Amazon announces Prime Day. Well, Amazon's Prime Day is on the horizon and coming soon. The official dates are July 11th and 12th. Is it just me, or does Amazon Prime Day not seem as exciting as it used to be? Perhaps we will cover that another time. One element of Prime Day this year that I thought was interesting was the promotion of deals offered by merchants in Amazon's Buy With Prime program. While Buy With Prime was announced last April, it's easy to forget the program has not yet been live six months. This year's Prime Day gives the program a chance to see what the team has been doing, and here's what I learned so far. Amazon has a Buy With Prime deals page on the website driving traffic off Amazon for Prime Day. You almost have to stop for a moment to let that sink in. Amazon is driving traffic away from Amazon and kind of back to itself for checkout. I spent a little time looking at Amazon's Buy With Prime deals page and want to offer a few more comments on its promotional efforts for Prime Day. 
I counted up all the brands on Amazon's Buy With Prime deals page and found about 100. This is pretty good progress for the program so far, and it would estimate at least 10 times as many are in the program. That said, I'm sure most of these are long-tail merchants in the program. If there's a major vendor in the program, wouldn't you want to sign up for Prime Day promotions? I would say 99% of the brands I saw on the deals page I do not recognize. The top brands I do recognize with the deals are Wise, Anchor, and Targus, primarily in electronics, and two of the three are essentially Amazon native brands that I've broken out. Many of the products on Prime Day deals are what I would call first purchase profitable, even despite the fees that Amazon charges, and I estimate many of these items have 80 plus percent gross margins. Quite a few of these items have virtually unprovable benefits and charge high prices. Health and beauty is rife with it. I just have to say this out loud for a second because I've thought about it for a long time. If health and nutrition categories ever get real FDA regulation, look out. A lot of D2C and marketplace brands are in big trouble. Until then, though, these brands are going to the moon. The most damning critique of Buy With Prime is of all the deals I looked at, I couldn't think of a single item that wasn't already flooded on Amazon. For Amazon, that might be a win because Buy With Prime badges are on D2C websites that weren't there before, but is it truly a win for the consumer? That's still unclear at best. While I was looking at these deals, I couldn't help but think there's not a real unique selection here. I thought it could be literally on any deals website like AliExpress, Wish, or Shein. Of course, I do understand this is Amazon selection these days, and by that I mean Chinese third-party sellers. But more and more, I don't feel that a third-party most future is beneficial for Amazon. Third-party selection can easily move and will go where the traffic goes. Amazon's strategic selection must be first-party, and if other categories are moving to more of a fast-fashion-type model based on social media trends, is Amazon already behind the times? Also, while I've always said that Buy With Prime needs to focus on traffic generation, I definitely believe that if this program is going to be successful, it needs to drive a surprising amount of traffic to a direct-to-consumer website. If Amazon is not able to drive traffic to its merchants, I do have difficulty believing this program will be around in five years. With that said, I truly think that the majority of Amazon's focus with this program should be in improving Amazon's multi-channel fulfillment program, or MCF, packaging, as well as in demand generation. Where's Shopify in all this? Oh, I forgot to mention this key point. I clicked through quite a number of websites in Amazon's Buy With Prime deals page, and what platform would you guess runs all their stores? Of course, the answer is Shopify. Literally no other platforms. So uh, yeah, Amazon needs to secure that deal with Shopify if this program is going to be relevant, like, at all. Our third story. Google Domain sells to Squarespace. Does it mean anything? Recently, Google announced it would be getting out of selling website domains, which I'm sure is painfully low margin and slow business for the company. Major website provider transition events don't happen very often, but there are examples in the last decade. One big difference this time is that the asset is domain registration, not websites. That's a critical distinction. That said, it's still useful to look back at the last two times website transitions happened. In 2014, Big Commerce was chosen as the partner for eBay as it closed its eBay Pro Stores platform and Magento Go. Oh, who remembers Magento Go? At the time, 50,000 stores used Big Commerce. eBay's platforms had 10,000 stores at the time, so Big Commerce gained an additional 20% merchant count immediately. This gave Big Commerce needed validation at the time. In 2015, in an irony not lost on me, Amazon closed its web stores business and chose Shopify as its partner to migrate its merchants to. At the time, Shopify had 175,000 merchants. 
While no official estimates were released then, Scott Wingo estimates at the time that there were approximately 2,000 Amazon web stores, though this seemed low to me even at the time. Despite the number, it is widely credited that this gave Shopify a boost compared to other platforms at the time. After all, Amazon, the king of e-commerce, was anointing Shopify to help its customers. Think Amazon wants a mulligan on that decision? In 2023, things are new. Google is selling its domains business to Squarespace, which includes 10 million domains. While these are not all websites, that's a big number and includes millions of customers. While not a direct competitor, as you might think, in particular, Shopify is much more advanced. At the low end, I do see small service-based businesses or single product businesses sometimes choosing Squarespace for their e-commerce or transactional websites. So there are some e-commerce adjacent concerns to consider here. Of course, I do have more questions than answers about this deal. What percentage of these 10 million domains are attached to websites and where are the hosts for these websites today? What kind of incentive programs will Squarespace offer these former Google domains to develop their web assets on Squarespace? What other companies were bidding for these assets? Will there be any future regrets by any parties, including Google, for letting the business go? GoDaddy, Namecheap, and others, but it's not outside the realm of possibility that Shopify also took a look. I expect that if Shopify did pass on this deal, the primary reason would be that no one knows who owns these domains and how likely they are to develop into e-commerce. The hit rate could be very low from an upsell point of view. And our last story. Google launches virtual AI try-on feature for its shopping service. This past week, Google released a new AI-based try-on shopping feature which leverages generative AI. The introduction of such features raises more than a few questions about the future of e-commerce. I couldn't demo the features personally, but the features released include the ability to see clothes on various body types and skin types, new guided refinements to allow you to use color, pattern, and style to find items similar to what you're browsing, which could then help your shopping process. This feature uses a diffusion AI model with inputs of a product image and also a person in order to generate many different colors, sizes, and model types from limited inputs. A few thoughts. Virtual try-on is definitely the future of online shopping, and I don't see why it couldn't replace going to the store in some instances. Previously, this type of technology was more common in categories like beauty and cosmetics and eyewear. This shows you new types of AI models can help enable experiences in new categories as well. I do believe that when you're in a brand or style discovery mode of shopping, these types of features could be very helpful. There's no reason that AI couldn't generate dozens of recommendations for you in styles and colors to match your body type, even with your own image. In a few seconds, too. That said, these features showcase what Google's generative AI models can do, and in terms of purchase capability are not likely a replacement for a brand's website. As such, I do expect to see third-party developers of merchandising solutions and other e-commerce platforms themselves add features natively into their applications. I also wouldn't be surprised to see similar types of functionality show up in the Shop app, which appears committed to experimenting with the uses of AI in shopping. While these are incremental improvements from previous shopping enhancements that may have been available from third parties, it does show what companies like Google can do to raise the water level across e-commerce by providing foundational tools, models, and algorithms in order to improve shopping. Hey, Watsonians, this is Rick. If you haven't joined other listeners in our community, you're only getting half the value from this podcast. Our community contains members from all around the world who meet every day to discuss the most interesting topics we cover on this podcast. 
Just last week, four other listeners were chatting about the potential cross-border de minimis changes in the United States and how it might affect Chinese marketplaces selling into the U.S. market. Join the conversation now at community.rmwcommerce.com. Now a word from our sponsor, Commerce Tools. When a multi-billion dollar beauty brand's e-commerce platform neared the end of its life, the entire business was at risk, including the ability to serve customers. By switching to Commerce Tools and embracing a more flexible mock architecture, the retailer's vision for connecting in-store and personalized shopping experiences became a reality. The brand can now roll out features within days, securing its position as a modern brand that uses technology to its advantage. If you're being held hostage by your technology platform and your developers have thrown up their hands, tell them to start a free trial at www.commercetools.com today. It's that time, friends, for our Investor Minute. We have seven items on the menu today. First, French B2B e-commerce platform Dejust raises $13 million from NEA. The company wants to create a B2B platform and follow in the footsteps of another great French platform provider, Miracle. And that's not where the comparison ends. The founder of Dejust was on Miracle's founding team and spent 10 years there. Second, fulfillment management provider Flowspace acquires retail ops. Flowspace has been a nationwide 4PL provider offering unified visibility into a network of third-party logistics facilities. Retail ops was founded by e-commerce veteran Sam Moses, which provided a suite of software solutions focused on e-commerce back office operations like warehouse management, product information management, and order management. Third, Overstock acquired Bed Bath & Beyond assets. Well, it finally happened, Westonians. Bed Bath & Beyond is officially dead. It's almost sad to see this once iconic chain sold for only $21 million. The company is hosting a separate auction for its Bye Bye Baby chain. But don't expect Bed Bath & Beyond to be dead quite yet. Overstock is changing its name. Guess what it's going to change to? Fourth, activewear brand 10,000 raises a $21.5 million Series A funding round. I guess the world needs another new trading brand. Everyone wants to take on Lululemon, but not many have been successful doing so. The firm plans to use their money to grow its team and grow its retail footprint. Fifth, baby brand Lalo raises $10.1 million in funding. The capital was provided by Spinmaster Ventures, and the company aims to disrupt the crowded baby and toddler market. Lalo sells items like high chairs, bath items, and toys. Sounds like they could have used Bye Bye Baby as a retail outlet. Whoops, too late. Six, Fanatics acquired Latin American license apparel provider FexPro. I have truly lost count of how quickly Fanatics is expanding with all these recent acquisitions. Let's try. FexPro, PWCC, PointsBet, and Epi. And that's just in the last year. The company is definitely taking advantage of this high interest rate environment to pick up new assets. Yep, sounds like Michael Rubin. And finally, international digital freight company CargoBot raises $6 million. CargoBot is based in Miami, and this Series A is provided by BPBI. Try to say that three times fast. BBPP, uh, no, maybe not. CargoBot is a digital freight matching solution that connects shippers, carriers, and freight forwarders. I had thought most of these companies were not doing terribly well, what with the continued decline in freight volume in the past year and so. That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly Podcast, your essential e-commerce digest. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar. The show is produced by Jose Baez. Production manager, Gabriela Montequin. 
To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts. 